Hey guys, it's Drew here. I'm here with Paul Amicello today. Elijah just got married, so Paul's going to be filling in for Elijah for the next few episodes. Great to be here. All right, so today is going to be the first of two episodes. Um, Paul's going to be talking with me about suffering, and we're going to be having a podcast on the theological perspective and then more of a personal perspective. Paul, we'll get you to, to share some of your experiences and relating to suffering. So... Thanks for coming on, Paul. It's great to have you here. Yeah, I'm glad to glad to be on. So, Paul, I think we've both seen a fair amount of confusion in the church in relating to and to healing. Um, people trying to work through suffering they see in their lives and being frustrated, maybe even frustrated with God at at, at some of the circumstances they find themselves in, and disappointed with sickness and suffering that people are walking through. Um, so how, how do you think, what do you think is a good starting place for us in this discussion to, to, to see that um, obviously Christ came to redeem and restore us, came healing, and yet we're still seeing a lot of sickness and suffering today in the world? Yeah, it is a, it's something that, you know, this is one of those topics that is interesting because it's theological and yet it's one of those that it's not an abstract theological mm. concept. It's something that affects real people's lives and it feels very personal. And I think we have to keep in mind that there are those two dimensions. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're interrelated and we can't separate them. So the next episode, we'll talk more about the personal, but they're so intertwined. And I think first off, I think that being um, that feeling of angst, that feeling of that there's something wrong, that feeling that we have trouble figuring out um, how to relate to suffering and how, how, what types of expectations we should have with healing, that very tension is, a, is, is the correct thing to be feeling. Um, this, is, this is precisely what Paul says in Romans 8 when he talks about how we groan with creation as we await full redemption. And so I think, first of all, that, that um, sort of unsolved tension that we feel points us in the right direction that I think, um, then I think from there we need to, we need to say, well, what, what does the Bible as a whole, what does the Bible story tell us about where we are in the story? Mm. And, and then how can we interpret our lives and experiences based on, uh, where we are in this big story of the Bible? And that, that leads us right back to kind of filling out why there's this tension and what our expectations should be and and the hope of, of full redemption. Don't you think some of this is complicated by, e even in this life, we see a very wide variety of ways that God responds to people that are praying for healing? Because we do see miraculous healings, um, people that are just able to completely walk away from an illness. And yet you see other people that you pray for years and it seems like nothing ever happens. Um, so I think we all recognize that the ultimate restoration of our bodies is, is not going to happen in this life. And yet we are still told to pray for healing now, and yet we aren't always seeing it. Um, how, how do you, how do you feel like we should grapple with something like James five, where it's telling us to, to call for the elders, to pray for healing and to obviously, I think it's fair to say, look for physical healing here in this life and yet still still hold the tension of knowing that it isn't always going to, to manifest itself now. 
Yeah, and and that passage is a, is a tricky one in some ways, um, because at face value it may suggest to some that we should always expect that mm. when the elders come that there's healing. Um, but again, I think that that itself needs to be set in the larger context of um, scripture, but also just of New Testament letters, um, of Paul's experience of being denied healing, of uh, his his uh, instruction or his uh, um, advice to Timothy to you know drink wine and do this and that for his stomach mm. when it, you know why didn't he just heal a guy right things like that. Um, and and yes, I don't think there's a real way of moving beyond that tension of uh, of praying. And this is for me, as as you know, and as we'll be talking about, is extremely personal. I come at this sort of my interest in this sort of starts with a personal mm. interest um, from as one who's you know is constantly praying for healing for my loved ones. Um, that we pray and we know that God is one who is and will be and will fully heal. Um, but that the time is not yet, it's not yet time for all of that to, to manifest in its fullness. So we leave the rest to God. But I think we do need to step back. And I, one of the things we should talk about, you know, next is is just kind of the contours of the biblical story that set us in this place. Because I think that really helps to kind of then put into place some of these specific passages like James 5 right. or some of the passages from the Gospels. Yeah, I think a lot of the, some of the ideas on healing stem obviously from Jesus and the healings he performed while he was here. And I think it's easy for there to be an expectation that we're going to see, um, and it's tricky because we do continue to see healings, but almost viewing the essence of Christ's ministry being centered in physical healings of people now. And we do see that happening in his, in his time here. But do, do you feel like, how do you feel like we should view that in terms of where we are today? I mean, Christ isn't here on earth. We still are going to see some healings. But do you think it's reasonable to to feel like the the amount of activity of that nature that happened when Christ was here isn't necessarily something that's going to always be carried out today? Yeah. So let me, let me back up and say that... For one thing, we should. We, the, so, what is what is Jesus doing when he comes and goes around healing? Um, his understanding of his mission is 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 based in large measure on Isaiah and the prophets. And there, this is when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, and he preaches the brings the good news of the kingdom. Uh, this is language straight out of Isaiah, and uh, and you know, there's Ezekiel and and other key texts that talk, speak of a day when God would, when Yahweh himself would return to Israel, to his people, he would renew the hearts of the people, he'd forgive their sins, and it seems like renew the world. Mm. And, and, and the, the, not only the exile, Israel's exile would be undone, but the very curses of, of Genesis 3 of, at the fall would, would work backwards. And what Jesus is doing and, and all of this will ultimately culminate in, you know, a new heavens and a new earth, as, as Isaiah says. And so what Jesus is doing is bringing signs, little bursts of the future into the present. So when he, his, I think sometimes we have the idea that his healings were either one of two things, that he was either sort of healing everybody, mm-hmm. 
or that his healings were just more like magic tricks that were done in order to make people impressed with that he had supernatural powers. Right. But really, fundamentally, I think what they were were bursts of that future, that age, the age to come, what, what the you know Jewish people of his day would refer to as the age to come, b- breaking into the present. And it's a little little bits of what it will look like when the whole earth becomes mm. restored. Uh, and so therefore it makes it makes a lot of sense that that some people would be healed, but there's tons of people in Israel that didn't get healed in those right. days. And that a lot of the place the, the, the places where maybe the highest concentrations of healings and stuff that we hear about today are places where the gospel is advancing in a new way. And these are signs to to these people that the kingdom of God is bursting into their, their lives for the first time, in, in a sense. Right. So maybe just to give a little bit of pushback to that, um, I think some would, would, would object and say that we're, we're downplaying the role that, that Christ would want to play in our lives today in, in healing. And that I think there's a fear that as we, as, even as we acknowledge the ultimate purpose, that there's some practical reality for that today, that if we, if we view it as about the future and about um, announcing the coming of a new age, um, that we're going to miss some, some kind of reality for today and that we might be missing opportunities to say, pray in faith and see more healing manifested today and even a counter to um, the case made that most, a lot of healings are happening in other parts of the world. That could just be a sign that we don't have enough faith here and then if we would start to show more faith, then we would we would experience more healing. Yeah. Uh, well, a few things there. One, yes, I think that so the the interesting thing about the New Testament is that it's it, it gives us this idea that the age to come has broken into the present, the present age. And that it's not just us. So Jesus didn't just give signs that someday things will be better, but that that age has already in small ways, maybe broken in to the present age. And so our, our transformed hearts are part of that new age. And so in that sense, we should all, we shouldn't be surprised if God does manifest healings for us sometimes, Mm -hmm. because, um, we, we can't really always predict how those, how, like, how does the present age and the future age kind of coincide? And it's sure. a little weird. So, so yes, you're right. I think we should, um, we should recognize that, that God may, may give healings different times and we should pray and ask as the New Testament says. Um, and yet, secondly, I think fundamentally what I, what I would push back to those people who, um, who pushing back on, you know, yeah. what I just said, right. whatever. Um, is that none of us deny the fact that we are still mortal mm-hmm. and, uh, the ultimate, the ultimate illness is death. And none of us think that we are immune from that. And therefore all of us recognize that we all will get sick and die mm-hmm. no matter how hard we pray. So yes, God can heal. And God does heal. And there are times when perhaps we don't have enough faith and we don't expect God to heal. And that's a problem. Um, But uh, we are still, (laughs) I think we always have to remember, we're still going to die. And and so we can't, God clearly is not always going to answer our prayers for healing. Otherwise, no one would be dying. Right. (laughs) You know. Exactly. And then I think the other thing I would say is, no, I fundamentally do not think that the problem is, well, in some parts of the world, just have a lot more faith than, than we do. I mean, I know plenty of, people. And I think there've been plenty of examples throughout church history 
where people of the strongest faith are those who don't get healed. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think <clears throat> then there's these baby Christians or maybe barely Christians sure. in other parts of the world that are getting healed all the time. In fact, I, I was listening recently to a talk um, by Dr. Craig Keener. He's a great New Testament scholar. He's written a two-volume work on, on miracles, and a lot of it's about tracing healings, um, mm. it, both historically but a lot of present-day stuff throughout the world and in America, including America. Excellent scholar, really great work. But he was talking about how... <clears throat> A student of his uh, here in America, the student was from, I think, somewhere in Africa and had a ministry there. Anyway, he was here and Dr. Keener was having had this bad headache one day. He's like, man, I have a headache. And the student's like, oh, let me pray for you. So he prayed for him. Nothing happened. And the student was like, in Africa, I pray for people all the time and they get healed. In America, when I try, it just doesn't work. Wow. And, and I think uh, to Dr. Keener, and it made sense. It was like, you know, that's interesting. It's not simply, I mean, this is the same person. Right. Right. It's not a faith issue, but it's that God is trying to do different things in different parts of the world at different times. And we have to allow allow God to be sovereign over those things, but still pray and, and know that maybe he will break into our situation and heal, too. Right. You know, I think there's also some confusion with the whole, I mean, coming back to James, James 5, um, saying, you know, the, the prayer of faith will save the sick. This confusion, like, how are we supposed to pray? Are we supposed to pray, God, I know that you're going to heal? Or are we supposed to pray? I feel like people can sometimes object to this kind of, if it be your will, prayer, because they feel like that just isn't really asking for anything. Isn't really saying anything. Right. So, and yet at the same time, to go around demanding God to heal to heal people, we, I don't think we can say that we have a biblical promise that God's going to heal us. No. Even though he tells us to Clearly pray for not. healing and tells us that the prayer of faith We'll save the sick. So how do you, how do you how do you, how do you work through the nuances of that, especially that little bit in, in James five? Because I think that kind of can trip people up. Because it, if you if you read it simplest like too simplest if you read it too simply, it almost seems like it's saying you know if you pray in faith you'll be you'll be healed. Right. Um. Yeah. I. I. I that. That is a. I think probably the biggest thing would be to contextualize the passage and just not read it as an isolated text and to not absolutize it. Um, yes, James says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Um, but I, I, I doubt that James actually was intending to mean this is a 100% guarantee. Mm. Like it's just, right. it's just hard for me to imagine that James actually thinks that. Um, he's, I think, more, I mean, and this is all intertwined with, um, with you know, issues in the church and there's there's also if there's sins that we've forgiven and stuff like that. And it's hard to, you know, how, how does that all fit together? How does it all work? Not, not totally sure. Right. But um, yes, I think, back to your point about um, praying in faith, I, I totally agree that it, it gets a little bit <clears throat> annoying when people just go around all the time saying, oh, if it's your, if it's your will, if it's your will. And it's kind of like they're afraid to actually go out and ask sure. for something. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that is not like, let's look at the Psalms, right? Look how they pray. Mm -hmm. um, and, and actually that's a really interesting example on, on multiple scores because there you have righteous sufferers that aren't getting their prayers answered, but you also have examples of people who just pray and they are like, begging God to do stuff and just pounding 
you know, pounding on God's right. door or whatever. Jesus talks about the importunate widow and it's like, you just bang on the door until right. you get, you know, whatever. And, and I think, I think we should pray in those ways, but always as Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane with the underlying, uh, you know, f- sort of fundamental posture that we at the end of the day want what God's will is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it should be it should be implicit in all of our prayers that if this is not what God wants, then I don't really want it. Because right. what would, like, do you actually want, like, we don't actually want God to do something for us that he knows would be a bad idea. Of course. So I think that should be implicit in our prayers, but I think we should really ask God, you know, really mm-hmm. ask God for things. There's nothing about making a very specific petition that, that that it, that of necessity means that we're unwilling to have God choose to answer it in another way. Right, that's correct. But I, I do think there are times also where God gives a, you know sort of a clear mm. a word to somebody that this prayer will you know I want you to pray for this and right. I'm going to answer it this way. And obviously, in that case, in cases like that, you can have more confidence of what the answer will be. Right. But that's not it, the difference. Is not one of how much you trust God. It's just a difference in what you think, what you, how confident you are of what his answer is going to be. Right. And I think it's easy because we know that happens where people do have specific faith to, to pray to a specific end. Um, there's almost this maybe a little, build, little bit of guilt tripping that can happen when someone is praying for a situation and they kind of feel like, well, you know, if I was really close to God, then maybe God would impress on me to, to pray to this specific end. And then that causes a little bit of confusion. Um, yeah, I think that's actually very dangerous. Yeah. I think that's, that's actually that type of guilt complexes that people have, or sometimes that, that church people <laughs> put on other, on suffering mm-hmm. people. I, I, that's something that makes me really upset. I think, um, I think that's really, da- really detrimental to people's spiritual lives, to people's, um, ability to focus on God and on what God is doing in this situation. Um, and at the end of the day, it's way more important that someone's trust and confidence in God grows mm-hmm. than that some that they try to work up some confidence in a specific answer they want God to give. Right. That's not really that's not faith in the sense of there's nothing particularly virtuous about that. There's something is virtuous about a confidence that God is that God is good and that that he is ultimately going to work everything for my good, that even in the middle of a bad situation, very bad situation that I can rely, I can entrust myself to him. That is something that actually builds you as a Christian, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, trying to muster or trying to get or feeling guilty because you don't have, and feeling like you're a worse Christian because you don't, you know, have confidence about a specific answer that you want God to give. um, That doesn't actually grow you in that, in that, in that virtue and that, mm. and so it's really, uh, it can actually sidetrack you from the type of difficult sort of reliance and entrusting of yourself that God may be, want to be working in you in the time, in this, in a difficult time. Right. And I think, I think it also helps to know that there are specific instances where there was a man of faith that was clearly, um, someone we, would look up to, um, who, who didn't get his prayers answered. I mean, of course, classically there's, there's Paul or Mr. Job. Yeah. Well, for sure. 
Right. Looking, looking you know, in the case of Job, I mean, you, you'd think after we have a whole book written about how not to torture sick people and tell them exactly. they're in trouble because they're sinning, that we should know better than that yes. if we have a whole book. But, but sadly, we don't. Yeah, it still seems to be an issue. Um, but, but even with Paul in the, in the New Covenant, yeah. um, praying for this thorn in the flesh to be taken away, um, God doesn't, doesn't grant that. And it doesn't mean he wasn't a man of faith. And it wasn't like he somehow knew not to pray for that. I mean, he was no. still obviously hoping this would, be, this would be answered. And he's praying and eventually realizes that God, God was choosing to allow him to, to go through this to, perf- to perfect him through the process. Yeah. There's, a, there's actually there's a few interesting cases, like little glimpses in the New Testament, in various epistles about people being sick. I mean, there's the, the one case where, um, uh, who was it? Is Epaphroditus? who almost died mm. um, one time. And then there was, I think, was it Titus who Paul left somewhere sick? Sure. And you're like, why are you, dude, why are you leaving someone there sick? <laughs> right. Right? Um, and then there's Paul himself. But there's also this, this really strong motif all through the New Testament about of, of suffering and how, how suffering is the expected part, unexpected part of what it means to be a Christian. Peter uh-huh. is very much... Um, this is a big, big topic for him in first Peter and he gets it straight from Jesus. Uh, obviously for Paul, it's a big thing. Um, and so there is an expectation that part, well, number one, just part of living in a fallen world as a human, but number two, you know, part of being a Christian entails suffering in various forms. It can take a a variety of, of means and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, illness is one of them. And I think and it's we, not the person's fault. It's right. God's sovereign and uh-huh. we live in a fallen world. I think we all see a blend of this times where we are delivered out of something, whether it's physical illness or just a difficult situation where God comes through in a way that just seems it's miraculous. Mm-hmm. And we're able to walk away and be like, wow, that actually can't believe I got out of that as, as easy as I did. And then the next time it's quite, the, quite to the contrary. It just seems like it's never going to, to end. And God has chosen to see us walk through something yeah. long and difficult. And again, in the, in the early church, we see both happening at the same time. Exactly. Like we see people, well, the, the tossing the handkerchiefs around and, yep. and the shadows healing people. And then you see Paul, like this leading apostle who can't get rid of whatever his, yep. whatever his problem is. And so I think we, perhaps it isn't, do you think it's safe to say that, um, do you feel like there's anything fundamentally different about what we should expect today compared to say, the time of the apostles. And really well, I think, it, I think it depends on where and what. Well, sure. Like the early days of the book of Acts. Yeah. Um, or, the, or, or are you talking about some of, the, some of the epistles of Paul when he's talking to his churches and you don't, you're not actually seeing as much of that happening. Right. Like, it, you know, where, when? Like, I, I just think it depends. Right. Like, I think if you were a Christian in Corinth or in Galatia, I don't think you're necessarily seeing healings all the time, mm. right? Right. Um, we, we, you know, we have records of oh my goodness, all these people getting healed in certain parts of the Book of Acts. Um, but if you look through the letters, you have some. There are mentions of people with the gift of healing and stuff like that. Um, yes, that's a thing. But then it doesn't seem to be. It's not like everyone's always getting healed all the time. Right, and of course. Of course, we're, we're, it's much more likely to see a healing recorded than a time that there wasn't a healing. Right. There's nothing particularly exactly. newsworthy about a, a non-healing. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, but the glimpses we do have of non-healings in the New Testament, I think, should right. you know, give us pause or, mm-hmm. or something. Right. Yeah. 
but then I, 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 I think that at the end of the day, part of, part of what Paul would, I think, want to say, because he does say it in Romans eight, is that our, our hope, our, the Christian hope is not, is not one of finally when this life is over, we'll be finished with all the stuff and we'll go up to heaven and we don't have to deal with physical bodies anymore. But I think for Paul, the hope, is, the Christian hope, according to Romans 8, is that, no, our humanity and creation itself will be renewed and restored and full physical healing mm. will be universal for right. all of God's people. And, and I think that, that helps because it, it, it tells us that it's not like healing is just a, something we either get or we don't in this life, mm-hmm. but it is truly something that will be had by all of God's people uh, in, in the, in the restoration of all things. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, well, then it becomes a metaphor for like living happily as a spirit. No, no, it's Mm -hmm. those, those signs of those bursts of the, of the future into the present that Jesus did in his ministry is going to really will be what the whole earth looks like someday. Right. And I think in, in either situation, whether we find ourselves and, and suffering that seems relentless, or if we see God um, coming through and healing us, either way should be a reminder um, of what we're looking forward to. When we yes. see suffering, it's a reminder to, to, to look for the day when there isn't suffering. And if we see healing, to think of the day when that's going to be universal. Absolutely. I, I, that's exactly right. Yeah. Either way is a forward pointer. Right. Yeah. Excellent. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Paul and I will be back in a bit with a little more on some of Paul's personal experiences with suffering. Thanks for listening.